You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapassi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gilleary. Uh, Paul, we've crossed the 150-episode uh, threshold, and we are moving into a... I've, I've been corrected. It's not a keen centennial. It's sesquicentennial. Ah, uh, But I prefer centennial because I can put on a gown and, and you know, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I I have to say, Jason, um, that a uh, they they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. So, what better way to kick off the uh, the back nine, so to speak? Ooh, than, back uh, nine. Yeah, it is. Than, it is master with our wonderful America. guest this evening. Yes. So um, you've teased it a bit there tonight. Uh, tonight, I guess it's tonight. Although you're listening to this as audio on demand. So whenever the hell this is, um, we've got a lovely guest. Uh, if you're in the project community, thick and thin, you will know, uh, this woman very, very well. Um, before we get to her though, some quick housekeeping, of course, uh, thank you for being here new, uh, old, what, however long you've been here. Thank you for listening. Um, anyone who is a patron, we appreciate you guys as well. And uh, anyone, of course, who's bought a, a T-shirt to help support the show, that is also very much appreciated. Um, this this episode's simple. This is all about the fan base and how one amazing person has documented it for over a decade. And then the usual jibber-jabber at the end, lyric and live cut of the week. So without further ado, let's get into it. The author of I Am Mine Pearl Jam Fan Portraits, it's Tanya Kang. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking about the book with you guys. And I'm really excited that you actually had a chance to look at the book too before this. So it's beautiful. We're thrilled to have you, Tanya. Thank you. Yeah, it was a nearly 300 page journey that I took um, over the course of a few days. And my God, the stories and the photographs and the amount of people and the amount of places that you went and again over a decade it's been in the works um i feel like we have to start with you though because I, we're all pearl jam fans so i always want to know how everyone's journey sort of started we got a kind of a glimpse into what lyrics meant a lot to people in your book but where did where does the seed get planted so for you um let's talk about where things started when and how and why did you get into the band pearl jam I mean, it really started for me with Yield. I first um, saw Pearl Jam in 95 on the world tour. So we moved around a lot growing up and my dad had gotten transferred um, to Singapore. So we were actually living in Singapore. And so I, my first concert was in the world tour um, and the one and only time they've played Singapore. But um, unfortunately, I wasn't uh, really into Pearl Jam yet. Like I'd started to like them and I knew like a couple songs from 10, but it was mostly I have a twin brother and he introduced me to Pearl Jam and it was mostly him and my sister who wanted to go to the show. So um, I was, of course, was like, yeah, I'm going to go and tag along with them. And I remember the concert vividly and I thought this was really cool. Um, so the wheels were like, you know, starting to turn in my brain. Um, 
And then we moved from Singapore back to the States and we moved to um, a small town in West Virginia. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of reverse culture shock. Yeah. And um, uh, it was just a hard time coming back to West Virginia, um, very, um, you know, non-diverse town in high school. And so um, no code um, was off my radar as many people, unfortunately, because of, you know, it wasn't really, um, that one wasn't as, um, you know, marketed as well as we all know. And um, so then when I saw a commercial for Yield and I something just told me I needed to go and buy that album. So I went and bought it. And um, it's just literally I remember putting the CD, you know, on and just hearing the first notes of Brain of Jay. I just already knew like my world was going to be different. And that's why that song's my favorite song, because the, the, the lyrics, you know, in that song are the world, you know the whole world will be different soon <laughs> and so yes yeah, so it's kind of you know cheesy to say it but and i tell the story but that's honestly how i felt and that's that's why that's my favorite song um and i just that album and um was just there for me when i was going through a hard time um and yeah and that that's just where it all started i just knew everything was going to be different and i just knew um i was a fan for life at that point <laughs> That, that's amazing that, well, first of all, you checked off uh, a couple of extra questions that I had, which was, <laughs> what is your first show and what's your favorite song? So, bing, bang, boom, Singapore 95, <laughs> not bad, gang. I don't know who either was listening, what your first show was, but Singapore 95 is pretty epic, to say the least. And then Brain of Jay, favorite song, huh? Yeah, and I, I still love it. I mean, all these years later, it's still my favorite song and um at the last, did I hear it? I don't, did they play it in 2022? Oh gosh. I'm a couple of times, it. I think. Yeah. I don't know if they played it at the shows I was at, but, um, um, I remember my, um, I got to hear it at my hundredth show, which was in Seattle, um, and at the home shows in 2018. Um, and they played it. And so I felt so incredibly lucky that at my hundredth show, I got to hear my favorite That's song. Amazing. How many, so, what's the, what's the number now? How many shows? Um, so I'm at 105. So I um, okay. I only did two. Yeah, that's it. Have, 105. Yeah. yeah. I, so yeah. <laughs> that is an astounding. You know, I feel Jason that we we had talked to some folks before that were you know cre creeping upwards of 30, 40, 50 shows, and I remember just my mind was blown just by that. And yeah, I, it's I, a lot. <laughs> now we're crossing I, the into the hundreds. Is, 100 is because um, so you know the last um between 2012 and um, 2018, you know, I was doing, you know, there's one, uh, 2016, I did 18, 19 shows, which it was just insane. Um, but as I talked to you guys beforehand, I have a son now. And so um, I'm not able to go as many shows. So in 2022, I only did two shows and it just felt so strange <laughs> to me because <laughs> I, I, I love my son and it's all great, but it was just, I was used to going to, you know, at least 10 shows a tour. So they but, change your uh, life a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, I just, in my, um, so my first show in 95 was I was 12. And so then, um, and I was in my, um, twenties, um, for like binaural and right act and avocado tour. And I was in college or right out of college. And so I just worked like a bunch of part-time jobs and just would, you know, just take all my money and just, and that was before I started fan portraits and I already mm. was just into traveling and, you know, following them. Honestly, I wanted to do it once I, um, you know, the five horizons website. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I, I lived and breathed that on the 98 yield tour. I only could go to one show, um, because I was in high school, but I would just go on there every night and look for the set list to come in and all the details. And I would see these fans following them around on tour. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was like one day, 
like I'm, that's going to be me. I'm going to do that. And then, so in 2000, I did four shows. 2003, I did 10. 2006, I did 12. And yeah, so. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, fan portraits, Tanya. Uh, so for those who don't know, please explain a little bit about what fan portraits, the book is all about, and maybe a little backstory, the inception behind the project. Um, sure. So a little bit of what I just talked about is... Um, kind of leads into how I came up with ideas. So as I mentioned, um, since uh, 2000 is when I really started, you know, following them on tour and going to multiple shows. And um, just over the years, I met so many people. Um, so a couple of my um, best friends I met way back on the 2003 tour. So by um, 2012, when I came up with the fan portraits idea, um, I had already met so many people at different shows over the years and um, just really was thinking about how we have such an amazing fan base and, you know, really thinking about how at that point, like Pearl Jam, um, you know, had um, made it very clear that they appreciate they, their fans and that they know they wouldn't be where they are without their fans. And I was just really feeling a lot of that. And um, I was kind of like at this weird crossroads in my life, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And um, I'd always done photography on the side um, and I just had started getting into doing it professionally. And I just was, um, um, just wanted to do something to combine my two passions in life, but also I, more, most importantly, I wanted to do something to document the Pearl Jam fan base. So I'd seen so many like projects out there about doing documentaries or whatnot about the band, but what about us, the fans that make Pearl Jam a big part of what they are because of us and going to all their shows. And that's, that's really where it um, started. I, but I didn't know how I was going to do that. And that's like where the brainstorming came in. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, if I take a picture of a Pearl Jam fan, how, how does, what's going to distinguish them as a fan? So that's when I just came up with the idea um, to have them hold a sheet of paper with the lyrics. I mean, it literally, it just came to me. I didn't like, um, like agonize over like how to, how am I going to find something? What am I going to do? I just was thinking about it and it came to me and I was like, okay, let me, let me see how this goes. And then, um, the first show I did it at was the Made in America Festival. So since I live in Delaware, I'm, um, a lot of my, I call it Philly my home city. So I've been to most, um, almost every Philly show over there in the last, you know, 20 some years. And so when they played that festival, um, it was, they didn't really do many shows that um, tour. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. Or excuse me, that year. So I was like, I got to try it at that, um, the festival. And um, I think I had like over a hundred people that first day do a fan Not portrait. Bad. and. Yeah, and nobody knew about it beforehand. It was just me there with my um, my best friend Michelle helping me out and just putting up signs asking if people wanted to do this and uh, you know posted on Facebook and here and there and that um, then gave me some hope. Okay, people like this idea. Maybe I should keep keep going with it. So I I never um, knew or thought it was gonna um, turn into what it did. Did you start it as like a, okay, I'm taking these, I know I want to take these, these portraits of these fans with a favorite lyric and it's going to be like an Instagram account or it's going to be some WordPress thing or did you know, Hey, it should become a book. Um, so that's a good question. Um, so at the very beginning, I didn't know yet that I was going to do a book. I just thought, let me just launch this idea and, and see what happens. But I must have had some idea that I was going to do something because from the very get go, I had people sign release forms saying, Ooh, it was you're okay. smart. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. yeah. So I, cause I was like, well, the very least I'm going to put it on my website or print social media. So I need people's permission, but I put in there, you know, published. 
And then after like the 2013, 2014 tour, that's when I was like, maybe not even 14, 2013. I was like, okay, I think I want to do a book at some point. So cool. All right. Well, let's dive into some of the meat here. Um, yeah. I do want to note that, uh, I'll ride the wave where it takes me was photographed, I think 24 times, which might be a record in the book, but I want to focus in on, I, um, on I do have stats on that. If like. Oh, you do. I, yeah. I just, I don't know, um, if they're a hundred percent accurate, but I did like, um, just cause for my own interest, like compile, like which were the most, um, like the top five, six songs that were used, like uh, lyrics that were used on the is book, release so. up there. It's gotta be right. Yeah. I release. Um, present tense, given to fly. I am mine. I am mine. Yeah. Inside job. Um, just breathe and unthought known. So those are like the most interesting. Nice. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk about the oh dear dad line. Uh, you photographed this one. I think it was twelve times. Maybe I'm off. Um, one image in particular struck me. It was a father and a son on page twenty five from Lincoln, Nebraska, and just the kind of the way that the, the father was holding his arm around the son. And, and the the connection there for me that's that's kind of everything and it could be you know mother and daughter it could be mother and son whatever the connection be when you take a photo like that and you hear these stories how do you feel about your own relationship with your dad or, or your own relationship with your mom another relative um that's a really good question um so uh, seeing those portraits with um where fans have um, done the portrait with one, like a child um, evokes uh, um, certain feelings with me. So I, um, so a lot of people I know got into music because they grew up with it. Like their parents listened to rock and roll and um, the Beatles and whatnot. I didn't have any of that. My parents are from India and immigrants and moved over here. So I got into music on my own. So when I see that, um, I just, I just think, um, you know, that's so cool that they're like getting their, bringing their child to a concert and their, their son or daughter's like already into the music and they, they have that relationship and something that they're bonding over. Um, and while my parents, um, have always been supportive in what I've done and really support the book and stuff, I didn't have that like connection over music with them. So sometimes I always felt like it was hard for them to like understand. Was that, is that, is that an, a negative? Do you wish that they had, or are you, are you happy that you had an organic experience? No, I think I'm happy I had an organic experience. I love my parents. We have a really great relationship. Um, so I don't think it's negative in any way. It's just something I've definitely thought about and um, just, you know, just different. Like what, how would um, maybe I might've been into some other types of music or, or something like that. If my parents had been into music and, you know, shown me what they were into, it might've like influenced some of my musical tastes. Or maybe not. I mean, I've also seen, I have friends whose kids are into nothing that they're into. So <laughs> Curious, Tanya. It's a perfect segue into this question here. You know, Connie's story about seeing her father in his casket, um, somebody that she hadn't seen in decades and, uh, you know, was, was about to <clears throat> until she, she just, just missed him. Right. So we have these lyrics. I just want to scream hello from elderly woman off verses. What do you think it is about Earl James music that's comforting to us in our darkest moments? You referenced this when you discovered Yield. And I think Connie's story is kind of a parallel in this regard. So I'm curious what it is about the music that resonates. Um, so I think it's just, um, you know, like each person has that, um, that song or that lyric that speaks out to them. And 
um, for some people, it's like the lyrics that come first. And for other people, it's like the music. So I'm actually somebody um, who I'll, it's like the music that speaks to me first. So like when I heard Brain of Jay and it became my favorite song, the lyrics mean a lot to me, but it was first that music. So just like something about like the tone, it was just like raw and that energy. And I think that just um, is what I needed at that time in my life and I connected with. And then of course, you know, then I dug in deeper and um, read the lyrics and then that, you know, just gave the song even that much more meaning. And I think that's what um, happens with a lot of fans with Pearl Jam's music. I mean, and, and so one of the things with this project is, you know, Connie's example. I mean, that's such a, a personal and really mm. deep story that she shared and was willing to share with me. And I, and that's what was so inspiring about this project. Like the more I got into it and met more people. Um, so before I started collecting stories, people on their own were wanting to tell me their story. And that's when I was like, okay, if I'm going to do a book, I need to include I was going to ask you about that what, chicken or egg kind of thing. Yeah. So sorry, I hope I'm not going too much on a tangent. It's no, just it. like, um, it's, it's just, um, you know, you've already highlighted that one story and there's so many stories in the book that are just so, um, personal. I think that's what brings, you know, the photographs itself themselves are great too, but the stories really bring, I think a lot of it to life. And, and it was just kind of um, like overwhelming for me that, you know, like, who am I, this, this person who's doing this project, taking photos at the show and they getting their photo taken meant, meant it means so much to them. They wanted to share their story with me. Like they wanted to be heard and be seen. Tanya, I'm curious there, there's a series of stories here that I think we could group together and in some ways talk a little bit about how these stories can almost change our relationships with the songs because we all have our own personal connections with these songs. But when, when we start hearing how they impact others, sometimes it adds a new dimension to that. I think that's part of what we do with the, the live cut and lyric of the week. We've had a lot of listeners tell us that sometimes we're able to kind of shine a spotlight on a song and offer an alternative way of looking at it. So if, if we think about some of the stories that you were able to capture, you know, Jessica's story, for example, about her birth father being a sort of nothing man to her husband's lightning bolt. Um, let's see, uh, the low light, for example, the way Amelia does in, in regards to the two birds being her two little girls. And, you know, we all three of us here have, have kids and <clears throat> Shamir speaking about sirens and and the, that line, I study your face, the fear goes away. And being able to apply that to seeing his his uh, songs grow on. And, and um, I'm kind of curious, are there any stories that when you look back on them now that make you think about a song or made you think about song songs, pardon me, in ways that you hadn't before, um, almost changed your connection or relationship to the music? Yeah, I mean, a couple of the ones you mentioned um, are definitely ones that um, stand out to me. Um, for sure, like hearing other people's um, interpretation of lyrics or how they apply it to their life has definitely um, influenced the way I see a song or changed, not necessarily changed, but made me think that there's different ways to look at a song. Um, and then also just um, like where you're at in your life um, has also um for me personally, I think has impacted um, 
like when I read some of these stories and how I see like the songs. So like now, because when I first started working on this, um, you know, I didn't have a family um, and I didn't always, um, you know, when I would do fan portraits and people would choose like um, Just Breathe and, um, you know, the, the yeah, I can count on one hand. Yeah, that line. Um, and, you know, they would tell me why they chose that. And I would just be like, oh, there's, um, you know, that's not one of my top Pearl Jam songs. So I'm like, oh, there's so many other Pearl Jam songs. Like, why are you picking that one? Hmm. But then I hear their stories of why that means so much to them. And now that I have a family, I get it. So it's just like, yeah, I, I mean, there's just every song can have a, a different um, meaning for you, um, uh, you know, um, um, depending on what's going on in your life at that time or, you know, where you're at now compared to where you were before. Um, but yeah, that's, I think I love that you brought that up. Cause I think that's really, um, really fascinating and interesting when you read some of the stories and think about it in a context that you might not have. So. Is that maybe like one of the, um, for lack of a better term, collateral damage uh, of doing this project is <clears throat> you get to look at a song that you kind of were like, like for me, like I look at a song like "Help Help" and I'm like, eh. But like nobody had the, nobody had. It's actually a bit bad example because nobody had it in the book. But like there's a song like that, and you read the the caption. Wow, now I look at this song and I gotta go back and listen to it again. But now I have their context in the back of my head. And the beautiful part of the community is that you have a reason to go re-examine it, and you have a a, a story that you that you trust that is authentic, and that you grasp onto that almost like by proxy. For a reason mm-hmm. to enjoy the song, is that does that did that blow your mind? Is that something that you started realizing as you're putting the book together? So a lot of people gave me stories um, over the years as we went, but I also needed to, like solicit and collect stories and reach back out to people. And so as I was getting those stories and then just thinking about them in the different contexts and um, how you know they're connecting to it, that definitely um, I think gave me like motivation. Um, like to keep working and to get this done, like to see this through um, just because so many, so many of those stories are just so meaningful. And I was like, I need to, you know, to get this out there. Like I want people to, to see, read these stories and, and, you know, see um, all the portraits. So, you know, obviously there wasn't room to include a story for every fan. Like the book would be, I don't know, like a thousand pages or something. Like Tolstoy. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or I need you know a bunch of um, like sequels and whatnot um, volumes, like three, four, five volumes or something like that. But um, so you know, as you probably noticed going through the book, so even with some of the portraits, or you know, a lot of the portraits without the stories, I think the portrait itself just still, um, you know, even though you don't know what was going through that person's mind or thinking, some of the ones like they just have this their this expression on their face, and you're look seeing that you know, certain lyrics that they're holding, you know, that might be more um, deep. Cause you, as you saw, some people chose lyrics that were more for just like for fun or, mm-hmm. you know, it's all over the spectrum and not, you know, some chose ones that were for fun and this and that. Someone said he wouldn't suck Satan's dick. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's a, fu- that's a fun portrait. <laughs> um, and um, where was I going with this? Oh, so I just think um, it was just some of the photos, like just, you know, like a, a photograph, like when you see it printed and you kind of like, I had a friend describe it. It's kind of like you have like a window into that person's soul, like with them just so like vulnerable, just standing there and holding this, you know, it's just simply a sheet of paper, but it's like, you know, 
um, looking into what they might be thinking or what's going on in that person. So I think what I'm trying to say is like, even the portraits without stories, I think some of those are, um, you know, neat to look at. Like that's, that's how photography and art work, like paintings and stuff. You don't always have the story, but um, just by looking at what's there, you can, you know, might try to gather what's going on or what you think might be going on. I think that's an interesting part too. When I, when I started flipping through this, I was curious um, how people were so very, very open and willing to articulate how therapeutic the band is for them and uh, as you're doing. So it's almost like it's it, this book of your, it's a great source of pride, which I think is, is comforting uh, when you consider that society as we know it today is really kind of coming to terms with normalizing mental health and how we need to allocate resources and empathy in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious if if you feel that way, like if, if you saw this project almost as a manifestation of, of therapy in a lot of ways. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that until um, I guess like consciously, I, now that you mention it, I think I, I do see that a lot, like um, a lot of, um, different people like uh, for example like the um in the last chapter for, in gigaton um she talks about like during covid we were all like isolated and that was just very tough on you um mentally and you know we all felt that and um and how that album was basically her therapy it's when that came out right right before covid all started in the pandemic and um i think so I guess what I'm saying is that I do think that in some ways um, the book kind of manifests itself as, um, you know, these are like the songs were like healing for people. Like there was their therapy, like for whatever they were going through in life. And um, that's what got them through. And I think her story, um, I had completed most of the book before um, the 2020, um um, but I knew, but then Gigaton came out while I was working on the book. And so I was like, well, I can't not include the last chapter. Like I ha- it has to be complete. So I'm glad I went to a couple of shows to, um, get some portraits from that album. And I thought that story was just a really great one to, um, to be one of the last ones in the book. Cause it really, I think speaks to that whole mental health aspect and how, um, an album can really help you through like trying times or what, you know, what it's going on with you personally. But yeah, I do think the book um, speaks to that a lot for sure. I think um, a quick follow-up to that is, you know, when I'm reading through it and I'm kind of revisiting some of the songs and we, I've talked to on the show before about, you know, I I don't listen to the studio nearly as much as I do the live. I'll just go through and be like, ah, 2004 and pick a song and pick a show. And that's how I I listened to Brisbane 03 just the other day, just for S's and G's. Right. And so going back to in reading all these all these lyrics and looking at the people holding them and, and the faces they're making or the, who they're with and um and reading the captions it kind of like it's almost therapy for me in a way where it reminds me of what I felt when I first heard that song on the CD or the cassette or the whatever the vinyl and I just I I think that maybe you won't be surprised maybe you will be surprised that in time more people that get this book from you will say, holy shit, yeah, I forgot about that lyric and that person's story completely reminded me of how I felt. Da, 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 da. I think you got something on your hands here. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you brought, um, brought this up. That is such a great point. And I think, um, yeah, like you said, a lot of us listen to the live um, shows. And one of the biggest um, comments I've gotten about the book is the way I organized it. So um, 
doing it by album because I didn't want to do it chronologically because that right. wouldn't be fun or interesting because that's the way I took the photos. And um and yeah, so when I was um working on this, I like myself was you know on PearlJam.com a lot and uh, looking at the track listings for the albums because I you know even though I used to know that by heart um, after going you know also being someone a big fan of the live shows that's a lot of what I would listen to also so it was kind of um, like really fun for me to actually like to dig back and focus on the albums and going through the track listing and you know because all my photos I have them stored and backed up by uh, tour, you know, that way and chronologically, and then going through and having to um, read everybody's lyrics and sort it into it, which, uh, which album and song. Um, and then there was some that, yeah, it took me back to right when I heard that song and that, remember hearing those um, lyrics for the first time. And then there was some, I, um, I was like, I don't remember, I don't know what song this is from. And I had to, <laughs> had to look up the lyrics because I could like, you know, some from Lost Dogs or, you know, things like that. Like, you know, the, not, no, even though I've seen him a bunch of times, definitely don't Mike know. McCready, lyrics he's been eight. by heart. <laughs> what was that? Oh. Mike McCready, he's been eight. Yeah. <laughs> from Dirty yeah. Frank. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. One of the few songs I have not seen live that it's still on my list. <laughs> so Tanya, you, you talked about how you organized the book. And I think that there were uh, a lot of stories about moving on. Uh, you know, Brent's story, for example, about leaving Memphis for love in Massachusetts. And that lyric from Thumbing My Way, uh, I turned my back. Now there's no turning back. I, I loved his interpretation of that and how he applied that to, to his story, saying that he had to break his heart in order to follow it. So it's, it's, a, it's a profound profound vantage point, I think there, or Ellen, for example, using severed hand as her way of um, letting something go in order to grow or Mark's story about, you know, moving on from the consumption of food, something that had dominated his life to the point that he was obese. And then his work to find the mental strength to overcome that and change how who he was on the outside reflected who he was on the inside. Very, very inspiring stories on so many levels. Do you think that any of these stories changed or caused you to reevaluate things in your own life? Oh, wow. That's, that's a really um, deep question. Um, let me think. Um, I think kind of like what you talked, what I, um, we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, I think some of the stories or, um, the, the those who did portraits that were kind of you could tell they were more focused um about like family or children um not to sound redundant but the I, I had my son and um got married all in COVID it was all very quick and back to back it wasn't planned that way just because with COVID everything happened and I um you know it's cheesy the way I say it but like I was one of those people like I didn't think I was going to meet someone or get married or have kids like I had my son at 38 I didn't meet my husband until I was 37 um and so I um never um emotionally connected to some of those songs like I said just breathe or like future days like mm, you know yeah. talking about future days of you and me um I would just like well, skip over that song and I it's something and so I'm speaking a lot is coming out personally about me that I haven't always shared, but I don't mind talking about it. Um, and so when I was like doing fan portraits, um, and just like uh, brain of Jay being one of my favorite songs, I think speaks a lot to 
the kind of music I tend to like and um, who I am. Like I, I do have a place for like the, the, um, the lower tempo songs. Like one of my favorites is like other side. Um, yeah. But um, there's something about those fast rocking songs that just, like I just don't even know how to describe it. I just love them so much. Like Brain of Jay, like I love Break or Fall was one of my other favorites, Save You. Like those are just my favorites. And so when I was working on the book, I really, like I started to work on it in 2018, 19, but um, 2020 is when I really like dove in because um, everything came to a halt. And part of the reason it took me a while to get working on it was because I was always traveling. Like I still have a full daytime job um, working nine to five, 40 hours a week. And I would just be doing, using all my vacation days to go to concerts and on the weekends. And I would be, you know, in Colorado or Seattle, I would take red eyes home, um, get in at 7am and go straight to work. So, um, I was trying to go to as many shows as possible to capture all these fans. Mm -hmm. Um, and then still keeping my day job to pay the bills. And so I didn't have time to sit down and work on the book because I, I had to teach myself everything. Like I didn't know how to use Adobe and design like the software. I didn't know anything about laying out a book, setting up margin. So it was a lot of like homework and really learning how to do everything. So um, I started in 2020 and that's when, um, you know, I, I was pregnant and I was thinking about family and all this stuff, something I didn't think was going to happen for me in my life. And so then when I started to read, um, go through the, those um, sections with those um, songs or um, with some of those stories that maybe not, might not have spoken to me earlier, definitely, I think influenced and really had an impact on me as I went through them now in a different, you know, phase in my life. So, yeah, I think we're the same with, uh, with future days. I, I did not get that one for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, poop, here come the kids. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I absolutely understand it. Um, now that this book is out there, <clears throat> you can order on your website. Um, people are getting it. What a what kind of reactions have you gotten so far from people who have who have received it? Um, and two, what have you gotten from this experience as a whole? What's what's the biggest overarching? You know, now it's done. It's it's been fifteen, you know, ten fifteen years in the making. Now it's done. What, what what's your takeaway? Um. So let me answer the first question, the other part of your question, because that's easier to answer. Um, <laughs> about um the response. Um, so as the, the book started arriving and people started messaging me and posting on, you know, all over social media, um, it was very surreal. Um, this is something I dreamed about for a while and didn't know when it was going to come to fruition. So, um, I mean, when I say I spent endless hours working on this, I, I did like, I would, you know, so many days, uh, so many nights where I was up to one, two in the morning working on this. Cause that's the only time I had once after I had my son and everything. It's the only time I could find. And um to finally see the book in people's hands and then to see their reaction um was just like overwhelming in the best way possible. And and um it just would bring a lot of I mean I started crying some of the times because um so we haven't mentioned it, but there's this last chapter in the book is um dedicated to um our some of our members from our fan base who passed away unfortunately. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And um um, a lot of those people I actually knew personally too, just, you know, from having gone to the shows and doing this project, I didn't know all of them well, but a lot of them I, I knew and were my friends too. And, um, so I had, for example, um, uh, for, um, the portrait for Dan Griegel, um, his friend, Bob is the one who wrote the story about him. 
and um, he ordered an extra copy to send to um, Dan's wife mm -hmm. um, and their um, the kids. Right. And so he told me that they got a copy of the book and um, they were just elated to see it and it brought tears to their eyes. And um, Bob, he was his friend, said that um, it was just like all all the memories came rushing in, like looking back at their friendship and going to Pearl Jam shows together and this and that. And um, when he sent that to me, um, I, I was just like, wow, like I was able to help someone like have those feelings and you know be able to save somebody's memory in this unique way that i was able to like contribute to that like that's just yeah i don't, I don't know how you can find the words to describe that um and then um you know some other comments i got like from john evans who um a lot of people know from the dr john to a yeah. DVD. yep yeah so he i've never um been able to take his portrait so um it's our goal for the next tour um, but I love that people um, still wanted to get this book, even if, you know, they're not in the book or didn't do a portrait. And um, just some of the comments he said was just really great, like how, um, you know, the fans that he sees in the book is like the reason why he loves to stop when he's at a concert and look around and see everybody at the show and take a moment and um, do that. And I, and I have a friend um uh, that what he said reminds me of my friend Sebastian, um, who's also in this book. And I met him before I started fan portraits at the 2009 Spectrum shows. And I remember um, I had um, gotten third row seats for um, one of those. Was it the last? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but I remember he was in front, um, like, you know, up front. And this is before they brought GA back and he had um, like a low 10 club number. So he was always like in second row or something. And he like kept turning around looking at people and like, I thought like he knew me or something and he was just like <laughs> smiling and I talked to him after and he's like, you know, I'm spoiled. Like I'm always up here because this is my 10 club number. Um, and he's like, but I love to like um, sit back and look around and see the people who've never been that close before and to see them like so excited, like you were. And um, so some of the comments John said, just remind me of that, where he's like, I just, you know, looking through your book just reminds me of like, um, taking each fan for they are who they are and their individuality. And, um, you know, he's like, this is why I like to, when I'm at a concert, like I like, I take a moment during each show and stop and like look around at the crowd. So, but yeah, the feedback's been, um, yeah, just more than, <laughs> than anything I could have imagined. So uh, what did it, what well, was well the other Very part well of your, Oh, thank you. I don't know if I answered the other part. I think. Oh, I uh, just, you know, what is, Oh, next takeaway or... from this from this process. I mean, it's you've now basically completed it. Unless you want to make a, a second edition that has you know a hundred thousand more photos in it. But like, what's what's the big takeaway from this prop from this uh, project? Um, I I think it's just like I feel um, it's just like a sense of accomplishment that I um had this small idea and that I was able to see it through and um to turn it into you know, something this big and that I didn't give up on it. Like there was definitely times where I got, um, was starting to feel burnt out and jaded and not, not negative or a reflection on Pearl Jam or anything. It was just, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was just, um, what is the saying? Burning both ends yeah, of the, um, candle. yeah, the candle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I got that all messed up, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, cause I was just going that 2016, I did, yeah, 19 shows. I was still working full time and I do, um, was doing wedding photography and stuff too. Um, when I could to help pay the bills and, um, like I loved it, but it was just, 
Yeah, it it was it was a lot, and um, you're tired, Tanya, is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I was tired. Yeah, and it, and it was because I don't be. think people understood um, the commitment that, and you know, this is all nobody was telling me I had to do this. I did this because I like I wanted to. I genuinely mm-hmm. wanted to, but it's a labor of love, and as you know, um, with anything you do um, that you really care about. You want to you want to give it your all, but it was um you know I would go to the show and you know start setting up like twelve or one o'clock and take portraits all the way in the beginning it was all the way up until six or seven and I would have to shut it down, so I could then go drop my stuff off and then get to the show on time and so you know not have any downtime or take a second to go and hang out with anybody because I was you know working and so on the 2016 tour I actually um changed it to um. I just shut it down. I think I would shut it down like three or four. And I would just, I, even though I'd have a line of people, I just, um, physically I couldn't do it. So, um, I've learned a lot about, you know, what your limits are. Um, but yeah, just, um, I don't know, just the, um, the support and the, um, encouragement from other fans I met along the way, like who I just might've met once, um, at the St. Louis show in 2022, I did kind of like an event, like a release event that the, the Kickstarter was happening and the showed like a first a proof copy of the book. And um, this fan showed up who I met at 2013 show in Pittsburgh. And she did um, she did a portrait of Smile. Um, you know, um, my son's first concert, Doesn't It Make You Smile? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And yeah, yeah and I only met her that one time. I never met her again. And so, you know all these years later, she showed up in St. Louis to my event because she wanted to thank me for doing this. And so the support and encouragement from people like that was just um, amazing. And what really um, also like was a huge um, motivational aspect and like kept me going, but yeah, I don't, I think that I just feel accomplished and do um, you know that this was something I was able to do for the community Um I don't know what's next. I'm sure I'll still do fan portraits. If there'll be another book, I have no idea. <laughs> I would have to do a lot more shows. We are that, ours. Yeah, yes. I think right. it covered. Yeah, I think I, um, the book covers about 50 shows. I think I did about 50 shows during that that period. Well, Tanya, as members of said community, we are very grateful for your uh, outstanding and stellar contribution here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm really honored to um, see that you really took your time and looked through the book and read every story. It sounds like that really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Well, no, thank you for, for the last, like I said, decade plus of work, because like I said earlier, it's, and we say this all the time in the show, but the community, and you said earlier too, the community is what this band is all about. You know, they, they play this music that we in turn take in and throw the energy right back at them. And it's a symbiotic relationship. And the people that you meet uh, at the bar after the home show, you know, and my wife goes, it was her first show, a home show, by the way. She goes, people are so nice and cool and interesting. And I'm like, yeah, welcome <laughs> to the club, babe. Like th- this is, this is it. And everyone's so helpful and kind and everyone's got their own stories, but it comes together with around this nucleus of Pearl Jam. And uh, I think you captured it beautifully. Thank you. Thank you so much. So there it is, uh, Tanya Kang's book, uh, I Am Mine, Pearl Jam Fan Portraits. You can order that sucker on PearlJamFanPortraits.com. I don't know how you came up with the URL. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Tanya Kang, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. You know, with the community, like we say, it's everything. Yeah. And uh, just 
incredibly indebted to folks who folks like Tanya who are making these these wonderful artistic organic contributions you know it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's a living thing you know that's a living document it's, these these are testimonials connections that you flip through this thing and and you can't help but be moved and and be stirred and then you share that with others and it just continues to carry over so wonderful experience Be- beautiful beautiful project and it's the wave of emotions too literally the, the troughs and the peaks of the waves the band finds ways to connect ac- across the entirety of that wave with all their fans yeah. so agreed um Let's move on to another lyric that is speaking to us this week in our <laughs> lyric of the week. And I'm laughing because, you know, we're, we're running out of songs we haven't done yet. And so this one was inevitable. This week we're going with a song from the 10 sessions. It's Dirty Frank. All right, Paul. So, <laughs> Dirty Frank, Mike McCready, my guy's been eight. He's been eight. Yeah. What a phrase. He's, <laughs> he's been eight. Uh, you know, w- when I first heard this song, I really did not know what to what to make of it. Uh, I thought it was a, a silly, uh, funky little ditty, and um, I really didn't think that it was a song that they were actually taking seriously. Yeah. Uh, but the more I learned about it, the, the more I discovered little tidbits that, that I think ground it a little bit as a part of Pearl Jam lore. Uh, notably the fact that it was written about their bus driver at the time. So they were on tour way back when uh, with the, with the chili peppers and they were kind of, you know, toying around with the idea that maybe he was a, uh, a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> As you and, do. You know, <clears throat> so I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso, but uh, I do. In the most recent season, they talked about their bus drivers, like, you know, had had been the head of a cult. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what it is. What is it about the bus driver, right? The, the band's <laughs> bus driver, the team's bus driver. I guess the, these guys are always going to be full, full of surprises. Hey, Chris Farley and uh, Billy Madison. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I think a lot of it was just the, the fact that, uh, they just had some fun with this, you know what I mean? And um, it's it's eerie though, and it, it comes at a time in Pearl Jam's history where you have songs like Footsteps and Once, um, where it, it, just the macabre, just Eddie really mining that territory a lot, you know, just the the, the um, I don't want to call it the sadistic side, but definitely the the darker side of human nature. And I think that you know he was exploring that in somewhat of a, of a I don't want to say a juvenile way, but in, in many regards, kind of a superficial way. And I think as he's grown older, uh, he continues to explore that part of human nature, but it's being done in a far more cynical way, and it's uh, it's it almost kind of explores the, the a part of us that we'll never truly be able to sever away that we, we have to kind of come to terms with and, and find a way to make peace with and just accept that that's just a part of what makes us, you know, what we are as, as very, very much fallible, not infallible, but fallible mm-hmm. beasts. And so um, higher consciousness continues to be the uh, ever evasive goal. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else is there really to say about this? But I, I think it's, 
it's a fun way of looking at an idea that is horrifying and for Pearl Jam and Eddie specifically to have the sense of humor uh, at a time when their music was very serious and it yeah. touched people the right way about issues that were very serious to them. But to have this one little thing that kind of just, hey, we're we're not always brooding. Like we we have a sense of humor. We're we're silly too. Um, it, it's almost, I, th- I guess, the closest approximation of it later in the career maybe is Johnny Guitar and creating some mm-hmm. sort of fantastical story about some other person um, that was that is or was real, but you just like make make it hyperbolic. You know, Mike McCready. My God, he's been eight. The fact that he rhymed mention with luncheon, I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's fun. <laughs> uh, the obvious shaft reference is always fun. And then, of course, I think the, the part that they they write this on the road with the peppers and then they rip off one of their songs in the lyric, cook them, cook them till you, what, what is it? Cook them right. till you see the look on the face. Cook them right. till you see the look on the face. Right. Um, yeah. Not much else to say about this one. <laughs> so I want to move on then to our uh, our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! Live cut, Dirty Frank. Not a whole lot of options here, my friend. No. In fact, Eddie has played this song more with uh, the Earthlings than Pearl Jam has. Indeed. What? Uh, when and where are we going? We're heading to 1994, Boston, the Orpheum, April 12th.
Yeah, like I said, only a few proper soundboard cuts of this one. And no offense to Matt, but you've got to have Dave on this song. The yeah. funk demands Abrazis, in my opinion. And when you have a show as fun and intense um, for a lot of reasons, this is th- this song and its performance fits the night perfectly. And it sounds like they actually rehearsed it, which is great. It, it comes across really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say that was going to, that, that was the thing for me. Yeah. It's, in addition to just the superior quality, just cause it's, it's, it's like total vault here. You, you get the fact that it, it feels like they, they nailed all the parts. I mean, it's, it, it's the kind of song that you would expect to hear a lot of mistakes in, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how often did they really sit around and play this? But yeah, it's, it's a, hell of a performance actually yeah all right well there you go guys uh, we hope you appreciated um the interview with tanya the project that she has put out there for you guys to consume yeah. is something else and uh the amount of hard work that she has put in over the last 10 to 15 years is not lost on either one of us uh if you are inclined to pick up a copy whether you're in it or not um, PearlJamFanPortraits.com There's yes. also a link uh, in the um, episode description wherever you are listening to this. So check that out. Um, and while you you're at it, yeah. While oh, yes. you're at it, feed that algorithm. You should. Feed it by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on your platform of choice. Wow, it's almost like you've said this a thousand times. <laughs> About 100, 150 plus, actually. 150 <laughs> plus, yeah, yeah, yeah. So go do that. We thank you again, again, again. Every week we say this, but we thank you. We, we love that you're here. And um, we'll see you next week. And until we do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.